Hey guys, brand new podcast, and it's a good one with Colin Quinn, who we all know I am a huge fan of. By the way, this is the fourth time I've done this intro because I keep fucking spinning out of control. Uh, I got nothing to promote. New Two Bears, One Cave, new Bill Burt. I'm running 2,000 miles. Winston Churchill Day is this Sunday. What is Winston Churchill Day, Burt? Uh, it is where I get woken up on Sunday at, um, at 8 in the morning with Toast, butter, jam, eggs, a side of bacon, some maybe some beans, like a little Britishness, uh, some coffee, some water, some juice, a scotch, and a cigar. And that is Winston Churchill Day. By the way, this is I'm I'm sure there's a real one because he's is like a legend. But that's how I'm celebrating that day. I talked about it with I think with Bill Burr, maybe at first. I've talked about it with Segura too, but I am so fucking excited. I'm so excited. I'm going through a real big history phase. I can't believe it took me this long to get here. I'm I'm kind of embarrassed that I did I didn't know anything about like you know what's so funny is I I'm trying to reach out to this Russian uh teacher, a professor about Russian history cuz I'm really obsessed with um I'm really obsessed with the parallels and we'll talk about this a little bit in the podcast with Colin. You'll hear me talk about it. But I'm very obsessed with the parallels in Russia uh, when they had their revolution versus when we had our uprising. Just out of curiosity of of the the differences and the similarities, because they're all through Europe. There were overthrows of the monarchies right before, right around World War One. And I'm curious. Now I don't know if I believe in monarchies. Like I, I've been obsessed with the Queen too. And it seems like the, the what Britain d- did is a little more reasonable, you know, than what was happening in Russia. But I'm just obsessed. So I want to talk to someone. I'm trying to get, I got Daniel Bellelli coming on, right? I got Daniel Bellelli coming on. But I think we're just going to talk about Harry S or, uh, or uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Because I'm also obsessed by these personalities, these big personalities, like, like Winston Churchill Harry S. Not Harry. I keep saying Harry S. Truman. Motherfucker. This is why I. This is why you shouldn't read. See how many times I've misused names. In I got to do a bit about not thinking reading's bad. What's funny about comedy, is, I've I've just started re- writing like real legit writing. What I've done. Little insight. What if I can? Sh- I don't want to show you because then you'll see what I wrote. But what I've done is I've taken those um, these uh. I can't show you, you know, the big poster boards and I've put them on my table. So my whole table is a, is a, is paper. And then anytime I have an idea, I write it on the paper. And what I've been doing is this a fun little exercise is I've been writing sentences that don't make sense. Okay. So what I do is I write the first word and then the next word that comes into my mind, I write that down and I write them to not make sense. And then I try to work them as a joke. Does that make sense? It's real free form thinking. So I'll read you a sentence. Uh, by the way, I can't read my handwriting. So I really can't read my fucking handwriting at all. Uh, this is crazy. I think all, all aunts and uncles need to learn to do is be solid in the middle ground of not getting attention. And so it's just writing. So that was a bad, it was a bad example. It was my sister. Hey, Cos, what's up? Yeah, why? Are you okay? Yeah, we do. Okay, I will. Bye. Can I tell you what sucks about 
fucking women. Not um, fucking women. We're recording. I know. I know. Oh, okay. 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 It's like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes like, like, I don't know if it's because we were raised as men. Sometimes you just are direct like, Hey man, what's up? Or if I have bad news, I'm like, Hey man, you got a second? Like, I, Hey, I got bad news. You know, like I, sometimes with women, when Leanne does it and my sisters do it and fucking my daughters do it is they'll beat around the bush of the bad news. And I'm like, Whoa, speed it up. I'm, you saw me panic right there, right? You know what she asked me? She goes, Hey, I was like, Hey, she's like, what, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm what she goes, are you, are you on a podcast right now? And I was like, yeah, what's up? She was like, oh, okay. And now I'm fucking panicking. And she's like, Hey, do you guys have that guy that washes your cars? And I go, yeah. She goes, can you call me the next time he comes over to wash your cars? And then I'm going to bring my car over. And I was like, yeah, are you fucking serious? Like, I just thought mom and dad had COVID. Like, what the fuck? Anyway, this writing exercise maybe isn't the fucking greatest, but what I do is I like to write sentences. I can't read them, but then I come up with jokes. So one of the jokes, I'll tell you one of the jokes. By the way, a little inside baseball. I wrote a joke. Let's see. Uh, It initially was, uh, I fuck like a Tesla. That was the intro to the joke. And then I was like, I definitely don't fuck like a Tesla, except for I'm quiet and I'm fast. Like that's where I do fuck like a Tesla. But then I think the real thing is you need a woman. If you got a woman who like vibrators, cause she fucks quiet fast and needs a plug nearby. And then I started writing that joke. And then I was like, well, I don't know how that's going to fit. Cause Leanne doesn't like any sex toys. She is uh, fucking very against sex toys. And so, it's interesting that people would be into sex toys. It is kind of like disconnective. Like sex toys are so that's really fucking fascinating that people are into sex toys because a sex toy I would think would work best by you using it as opposed to someone using it on you. Correct. Yeah. Why is she against them? She's always been against them. She'd rather just have sex. She'd rather. Why wouldn't we fool around? Why wouldn't we? have each other's bodies touch and fool around. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. She was like, why would I trade out you for something else? I used to have a joke trading. It's adding. It's like you get my dick. Oh, no, 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 no. There's no adding. There's if you add a sex toy with Leanne, she gives you a look of like confusion and like, okay, I don't know what this does for you. Like it's almost I got to be honest with you. We tried something once or twice and it's so demoralizing. (laughs) That's yeah. Maybe I'll talk about this on two bears, one cape tomorrow. Good call. Halston. No cock rings. No, nothing. No cock rings. No Halston. No, no, she is. She, she is a 50 year old woman from the South. God, she's 50. You know, she's in a different phase of vaccine than I am. God, make sure. Make sure you love her, boys, because that's the one you get. And thank God I fucking love that woman. Whatever fucking she makes me laugh so fucking hard on shit that does not normally make me laugh. She makes me giggle. Make sure you love her, boys. All right, let's get to the fucking podcast. We've meandered all over the place. This has been the dumbest intro I've ever done. I actually owe you guys. I actually owe you guys. I sincerely owe you. Uh, today's podcast, this man needs no introduction. He is one of my favorite comedians alive or dead. 
He's luckily alive. He just got through COVID. He's got a great book out right now called Overstated. It is right here. If you're not here, it is a coast-to-coast roast to the 50 states. He has had multiple, uh, I want to say Emmy-nominated, fucking acclaimed stand-up specials, one-man shows. He is the creator and host of the, my one of my favorite shows that has ever been on television, Tough Crowd. And he's got a new special that's on HBO Max. Uh, it, I think it's called Stand-Up Comedy in a Parking Lot with Bobby Kelly, Rich Foss, Bonnie McFarland, uh, Marina Franklin, Chris Stefano, uh, Sam J. Who am I leaving out of this? The name of it. It's called Colin Quinn and Friends, a parking <laughs> lot comedy show. The name of it. Colin Quinn's and Friend, a parking lot show. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, and I apologize for this long fucking meandering intro. Colin Quinn. This is What's happening? How you doing? Oh man, I don't like the fact you guys have cool dog backdrops, and my backdrop is just so bland. It's bland. Blend in with my face, you know. Texture. Every every New York comic has that backdrop. Every New York comic has the most bland. I, Jim Norton switches to uh, a green screen. I know, I know. He always has some green screen, you know. How you I doing? That, I don't go for that kind of kitsch humor like Jim Norton. Uh, I had, I you know, it's either uh, Burr had a green screen one time when we were doing Bill Burt. It was so fucking distracting. <laughs> well, was, yeah. He was That's, so proud that he figured out how to use the green screen that you couldn't say anything. It's inexcusable on his part. <laughs> how are you feeling? Good. How's the COVID? How was COVID? Oh my God. Well, don't you, don't you, uh, you know, it was, uh, by the way, you look good. You look like you lost some weight, huh? I've, I've, I haven't drank in, I don't count like days in a row, but I haven't drank in two months. But I have, I've had a couple nights where I tied one on. But uh, and I've been uh, trying yeah. to run. You're, you're very, uh, you're very slender. The um, what about um, COVID was. I mean, it was horrible. First of all, you know, I got it. You know the whole story, right? Yeah, Andrew Schultz tried to take over comedy by spreading it through his immigrant labor. Is that how it worked? <laughs> you, you really, you really do know the source. And then Giannis and De Stefano were. <laughs> Had been on Michael Che two days before. I don't know why I'm making an excuse for them because they don't deserve it. But <laughs> they've been on. Uh, they did a Michael Che sketch. So they got tested, so they felt they were clean. Then in the time between, they got tested. The two days or three days between, they went on the that podcast, Andrew Schultz thing, and then I go to their apartment where they do their podcast, and you know I wasn't gonna. I mean I, I do it all from home, you know, but. Somehow, Chris was like, nah, it'll be fun. We'll go out to lunches in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. He's like, we'll go out to Bay. We'll go out to this restaurant, Italian place, have fun. And I have, you know, my whole family's from Bay Ridge. I grew up near it, but I grew up in Park Slope. But it's, Bay Ridge is right next door almost. So I was like, yeah, I haven't been to Bay Ridge in a couple of years. It'll be nice, the old days. And you know, so much, I spent half my life there, you know. And I was like, this will be fun. I show up. Um sit down, the apartment, it looked like it had COVID. They didn't clean those guys. It was like guys, there's clothes all over the beds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, 
got a film over it, you know what I mean? And then, you know, and there was like, oh, we're in transition. Everything's transition. And then we sit down and do the podcast. We did the podcast. I get COVID. I didn't know I had it at the time. Then the big outdoor lunch that I went there for, they ordered in pizza from someplace that was bad. And Giannis insisted on it's Sicilian, which is square. Yeah. So I didn't even get great pizza. It was like Sicilian. It was like eating bread a little bit. I mean, you know, I could have been any. I could have been in Idaho eating pizza. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And so then I bring COVID home, right? Give it to my wife. She gets a really bad case of it. Really? Yeah. So she really, I mean, she, she for three months, she said she feels like she has a hangover every morning. She's oh. just getting past it right now. Ruins Thanksgiving, ruins Christmas. And now I try to explain the power dynamic in my relationship has changed because I gave it to her. So now I have to be on my best behavior for like four years. I don't know what the limit is when you do something like that to somebody else. Because <laughs> she's so careful never to get, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm the yeah. one that went and did the podcast like an idiot. How, how soon from when you were with those guys, then you started feeling symptoms? I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe two, two, two days, two and a half days. Yeah. That's crazy. Was it, Ned, do you have a fear of that kind of stuff? Like I, I have, I was, I was around Dr. Drew the day before he showed symptoms and he, he, uh, I don't, he didn't even reach out. Someone else told me, Hey, Dr. Drew's got it. And I was like, Fox, so I called him and he was like, Oh yeah, you should get tested. But I was the, the panic of getting COVID is what is because some people are fine. And then some people aren't, and some people have a hangover for three months and then some people don't. And I think yeah. the panic is worse than getting it. Maybe. I mean, I, for me, not for her, for me, it was, yeah, I was even, I didn't feel bad getting it because what a combination of reasons, but the fact that I gave it to her and that they put that, yeah. in, she had it so bad. I was, Oh, you know, it's just, infuriating and i gave it to my manager the, the kid who worked for my manager alex i did a podcast i did gary goldman's podcast two days later i didn't know i had it and gary didn't get it but this the guy that put it together alex he was like doing the podcast he got it from me jesus so i was a super spreader you know that's uh, that is uh and then that stupid akash calls me you know he he texted me like hey man i'm really sorry i never met him before he was pretty funny but but it was still infuriating, you know. <laughs> That's what I like about comics, like real comics. He goes, I know you don't want to hear from me. I know you hate my guts. I don't know why I'm doing this. Like they always, they cover all the psychological territory of what's going on. I know you don't know who I am. I know you've never heard of my podcast. I know you yep. don't follow me on Instagram, but yep. listen, here's the deal. Yep. <laughs> I'm a big fan. I'm just worried about. <laughs> yes, Exactly. That's a great thing about comics. They go, they cover all bases before they even say anything. <laughs> hey, who was in your? Um, so you feel good now? You feel? Do you feel like hundred percent? Yeah. Well, I've nice. never felt. I don't think I've. I honestly don't feel like I've felt a hundred percent since I was maybe four, because I feel like once I started eating candy, it was just all downhill for me. You know what happens to me is uh, is. Uh, I didn't realize how little things affect me. Like as I drink so much, I didn't realize that like a pint of ice cream at 11 o'clock 
I wake up with a headache the next day going like, oh, I don't feel so hot. Like I have diarrhea. Right. My wife's right. like, hey, you had ice cream. I was like, yeah, but normally that doesn't do it. It's like, no, the other shit just overwhelms the little stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's like get the, uh, they used to do the jokes about all the old Irish guys, you know, in the bars. We'd always imitate them going, you guys all hung over and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have had those pretzels behind the bar last night. <laughs> bar pretzels. They're, they're, they're old. They're stale, you know. I <laughs> like 14 shots. It's funny. I, I listened to you talk uh, to Conan about being Irish. And it's it's bizarre because it's a I identify Irish. I even though my you know my dad's family is German, and it's such a huge part of me and my cousins growing up that I guess is it's kind of biz, it's kind of bizarre because it, Irish is kind of like it's almost like washed out. Like I was thinking, if you did because you know Absolutely. Tiffany Haddish is doing an all black uh, comedy special with all like Dean Edwards, Godfrey, uh, uh, Tony Woods, a bunch of great comics, and she goes. They're all black because I'm black. And I thought, what if Colin put on a Irish special? And then I was like, you get Shane Torres, who's Irish, but Mexican. Bobby Kelly, who's Puerto Rican, but Irish. <laughs> like Irish is so not like you could do a you could do a diverse cast Irish special. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. The uh, we used to say but when Bobby Kelly says he's Irish, he goes, my name's Kelly. I go, yeah. And Patrice O'Neill's name is O'Neill. You know, <laughs> you said it on Tough Crowd one time. You said Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> and I. Fell out of my fucking chair. Yeah. yeah. How how often do people bring up tough crowd to you? Is that how often did you not think that often. You're gonna, what? Not that often anymore, you know. For real? Well, I mean, it's been 16, 17 years it's been off. I feel but like I mean, Yeah. I mean, they bring it up enough where I'm like, I'm you know, it makes me proud that people still remember that that was I mean, who knew at the time? That that was going to be a uh, you know some kind of a show that really would not be allowed on networks. You know what I mean? I mean, really, honestly, the stuff that was said in that is so it was so open and honest. You were the first person that I had ever heard not allow applaud breaks for glad handy. Like, so I, I went. I just got back from uh, overseas performing for the troops, and you go stop, don't applause. Right. And, I, and I remember feeling that as a comic, but I'd never. I'd feel that in the back of the room when you heard comics, oh, my intro, tell them I worked in Afghanistan, I did this. Right. And then right. you'd be like, oh, fuck. And no, it's- yeah. All those, all those pronouncements like, I think all people should be treated equally. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Get to the joke on this because everybody feels that way. That's not a comedian statement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like trying to win people over. And believe me, I know a big part of comedy is going to be you know, likability, but it gets too far. Like they say, what Clapter was a couple of years ago, you know, that's still around, you know, like the idea of Clapter, people doing stand up and saying things with righteous indignation and everyone's cheering, you know, that's not less. That's what, that's what it feels like the internet is now is. Yes, it is. You know, I I sometimes think it's, it's people, it really points out people that, got the moniker com- comedian when they were just actors. They'd never done stand-up. They'd never written right. their own words to say their own words in front of people. And yeah. then they got this moniker comedian and they learned how to be somewhat snarky with a, with a, uh, with an applause break behind it. Like, <laughs> like here's my politics. Actually, I know that you're not allowed to disagree with my politics. So I feel very comfortable being semi-aggressive and that is the comedy therein. Right. But also they sort of like, 
a statement in it like, hey, I like they're pretending that they're going out on a limb too, which is also annoying. It's like yeah. I know I'm gonna piss off a lot of people and I'm gonna get death threats. It's like everybody gets death threats. Get over yourself. You know what I mean? It's part <laughs> of the internet. You know what I mean? They're like, I know I'm gonna lose it's like, okay, stop. You're not you're not you're not doing something that's, you know, maverick, you know. Yeah, you were the first person I like it's funny. I've always been like five steps behind everything. Like I didn't know what a meme was until until it was like clear what memes were. And I was like, oh, that's a meme. Okay. It's just a picture with some words. Oh, okay. I got it. But you were the first person that introduced me to trolling. And I didn't know what trolling was when it was just, you'd put, I don't know, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes you got to behead a woman to, you know, whatever the tweet was, just those aggressive ones. And people really genuinely didn't understand what was happening. Yeah, no, I mean, for some reason, I caught early on the trolling thing just because I'm such a natural trolling, annoying, you know, <laughs> that's my idea of you know, just getting people infuriated. And it started with, uh, what's his name, when Gaddafi died. I was like, love him or hate him, you know, you got to give him credit. He did his thing or whatever. And people were like, no. <laughs> and then, well, the worst was Will Ferrell. One of my earliest things, I had to actually apologize. And because I was like, hey, Will Ferrell's great. He won some award, like a Mark Twain. I go, I love Will Ferrell. Good for him. I mean, what he did on SNL, you know, I don't talk out of school, but dealing, you know, dealing heroin and using heroin is not my idea of whatever. And so I thought it would be a big joke, like Will Ferrell dealing heroin, at least. I didn't just say using. I said dealing at yeah. SNL. <laughs> and then people like, you're a snitch. Whatever he did, you should keep it between him. And, I, and then... <laughs> It got to be like a thing, like somebody picked it up and it was like news. Colin Quinn says, Will Farrell dealt heroin. And it was like a real legitimate news article. Like, <laughs> so I think it was Huff Post. And, and so I had to like retract my statement. Oh, dude, right around that time you did that, right? At, at, it was when I noticed that you were, what you were doing on Twitter. I did, I was sitting at the bar at LAX at the American uh, Admirals Club. And it was the night after the Oscars. And I, I was reading some of your tweets and I just sent out a tweet and I was like, Oh, how cool. Uh, just bumped into Meryl Streep and JLo at the American airlines Admirals club. And we just did Boilermakers at eight in the morning. Congrats ladies. Hell of a job. <laughs> and fucking Rogan called me and he was like, dude, you did Boilermakers with. <laughs> and I was like, and I, Colin, it was never, I've never, I was like, no. And he was like, but you said you did. And I was like, I was, I was a joke. And he yeah, was like, yeah. he's like, it's not funny. And I was like, why? I just thought it, you'd get it. Cause I was like, why would they do Boilermakers at eight in the morning? He goes, I don't know. They've been up all night. And I was like, I got to work better on my trolls. <laughs> yeah. But meanwhile, it, it's Meryl Streep doing Boilermakers and J-Lo. <laughs> it's not, First of all, I, they wouldn't be together. <laughs> you should have realized those two would not be doing Boilermakers together. Neither one would be Boilermakers with you. Yeah, like, hey, Bert, Boilermaker, Boilermakers. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, uh, did you, were, were you funny in high school? Yeah, well, in junior high, I mean, everybody that knows me knows I peaked at 14. When I was in junior <laughs> By the way, high hold on. I swear to God, I swear to God, Colin, I peaked at 22. I peaked at 22. Yeah, yeah. I, the people that grew up, well, the kids that grew up with me know. I was funnier at 14 than I'll ever be because the stimuli was different and there was just, it was a different world and it was just wilder 
And I was just, un- I wasn't in my head. You were just, bah, bah. So I would go to class. Teachers hated me. The kids thought I was just a funny, you know, they loved it because I was just always just a why I was so such a wise ass, but I was funny, you know? Yeah. I feel like this is a, uh, this is talking a tad bit out of school, but I, and when I first got into comedy, I remember being, which is semi-ironic considering how I've run my career. I remember being kind of grossed out at self-promotion. I remember, right. and I remember, uh, being at the, you know, I worked the door at the Boston Comedy Club when I started with Louis Schaefer. And I remember uh, a couple comics getting done their sets and they would sit by the doors. People left to shake hands. And I found that so gross. Yeah. I found that so gross. And I was like, just do the job and get the, f-. and I think getting into comedy, that was when I was my funniest was when I I had all it was, was comedy. There was no thought. It was like I, when I was in college, people would tell stories about me. And I'd go, oh, yeah, I guess that happened. I don't remember it. And then all of a sudden, when I got into comedy, that part of my personality kind of left. Or it, 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 it started to dissipate. And I, find, I found that if you're not trying to sell tickets to your shows, no one's selling tickets to your shows. If you're not promoting yourself, no one's promoting you. And it, was, it, it made sense from a business standpoint. But it's like the part that when you say, like, I, when I was my funniest, I was in my fraternity at college. And I was, I mean, I was. Unstop! I was the funniest human in that one period of time. That's how. That's how I feel when I was fourteen. If if fourteen year olds, if there had been professional comedy only for fourteen year olds, I would have been like Richard Pryor of all the fourteen year olds in the world. Where did you, know, where, um, did, where did you grow up? And you Brooklyn, grew up in Brooklyn. Brooklyn was yeah. it was it diverse Brooklyn or was it very old diverse. school Brooklyn? No, it was very diverse. And, and you uh, live next door to Chris Rock. <laughs> it was, but it was very, very mixed, and that's what made me funny too, you know, because you're around all these different people, so you're busting their balls. And in those days, of course, you could say ethnic things, and yeah. nobody would have a heart attack if they were funny. You know what I mean? If they weren't funny, there would be violence. But if you were funny, you could say whatever you want and get a and get away with it more or less. You know, that was how it was. And um, but when you talk about uh. I was thinking what a great show would be for you to do would be to have all those stories that you don't remember, have them tell the stories, have all your friends tell those stories. And then you do an hour of the stories only you're doing stand up, but they go, no, no, no. Then you did this. So you have to keep <laughs> adjusting according to what, okay, you heard him. He said, I did this. Now here's what I remember. And maybe someone will come back to you, but it'd be an interesting uh, stand up special. We did, um, we did, uh, me and Tony Woods did a show in DC. I, I was doing a show in DC and Tony Woods showed up at the end of the night. And, uh, and I don't, I don't like talking much about this cause I, I know that Tracy Morgan is not a, a fan of the story. So I won't tell the story, but I had a really great Tracy Morgan story, like a really epic one. And uh, that was contested Tracy. Uh, I full, I have to allow him his, to live his truth, but he said it didn't happen. And, uh, and I, and I can understand that it's a salacious story. And maybe, maybe there are parts that we disagree on. I can understand that, but Tony Woods was there as well. Right. <laughs> so, so, so Tony, Tony comes into the club and um, it's at the end of my set. My wife's there. I've, I'm, I have my camera there. My wife said, and Tony goes, Hey, why don't you tell that Tracy Morgan story from the back of the club? I go, is that Tony? You know, everyone knows Tony's voice. So I go, is that Tony Woods? And he goes, yeah. I said, come on up. So me and Tony, 
told the same story, but from our different perspectives. Uh, and it was, it was amazing how much in, in my telling of the story, I am really this innocent, like I'm just this young guy that's happy to be around and I'm watching everything go down. And in Tony's recollection, which by the way, is way more uh, tracks a lot more honestly, I am part of the instigation throughout of it. I am the first person that ripped their shirt off. I am like, and I'm like, yeah, that does, now that I'm hearing that, I'm like, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> and then I get, I get done, I get off stage and I, my wife goes, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Did you videotape it? And she goes, oh my God, I should have, huh? And I was like, motherfucker. Oh. Who was in, who was in your, your class? I, I keep trying to, you're friends with a lot of the guys that I'm intimidated by, like that I've never even spoken to. Like I've stood next to, and yeah. they've, they've, I don't even think they know that I'm a comedian, to be honest with you. I think like, they think like I'm Rich Voss, those types. Like Rich Voss, Bobby Kelly. No, <laughs> no, like Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld. Like they, I, I well, Jerry Seinfeld started in 76. So he's he was way ahead, older than you. He was, he was the head of our class. I started about 84 or 80, probably late 84. With Chris Rock, Adam Sandler was 17. Chris Rock was 19. I was already 24. So you were that Spade, uh, that no, Spade Rock? I'm a spade, Spade from, from Arizona. No, no, but that same age. No, I'm older than them. Really? You're older than Spade? I'm five years older than those guys. And eight years older than Adam. So, because I started late. You know what I mean? So, I didn't start until I was 24. And they were 19. I can't, when you If you watch this back, you'll realize I said that. And then you came with a fake statement and said, so you're the same age as those guys and just really, you know. <laughs> I'm a good listener, Colin. I'm not a good listener. I've never been a good listener. And then, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I started with them because I was I was 24. They were 19 and 17. I, I started at 26. You started at 24? 24, yeah. Shit. And, um, 80, 84. And then, um, you know, and maybe I was 25 by then. And it depends what month. But the either way, we all started waiting online, doing these open mic, all this shit, you know. And so I knew those guys from the beginning. And we all just worked, and that was it. You know, and we all did these clubs that, that, that were – the Boston Comedy was the place called the Paper Moon that Eddie Brill started. And – we all worked at that's the place where I really worked out. Adam Sandler used to get on stage with his friends and do this whole thing. And so that was the early, it was one of the earliest clubs, Paper Moon. Wow. Yeah. I keep getting lost in where in, cause I think when people think of like your class, they think of Bobby Voss, Patrice, cause that was yeah. your, but they were like two classes get, behind you. I got left back. You got left back. <laughs> I feel like I never had a class like because I, I, I the people I started with all got really successful, like Dimitri Martin, uh, uh, Gary Goldman. Everyone kind of blew up on Last Comic Standing. And then I was kind of held. I felt like I was held back a year. And so yes. my class, I feel like, is a year later. And I, and yeah. I did the road. You never I feel like you never did the that. Like when I started, you were an, a New York guy, straight New York guy. You weren't doing the funny bones, the improvs. You were just staying in the city. Um, what year was that? 97, 98. Yeah, no, I was doing those clubs. Yeah. I always had that reputation as just a New York guy, but I went on, 
I did all the funny bones and I did all those clubs, improvs. I mean, I was always around, uh, you know, but I did, I did more of them then actually, but I had that reputation that I never left New York. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I was, I was on the road. Yeah. That's interesting. How did you meet Patrice? Um, he came in the cell. I still remember he came in the cellar one night and he was sitting at the table. Somebody introduced him to me. We shook hands and I go, uh, I, 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 I go, your attitude is just emanating. You just, I just started like analyzing him and he's just like loving it. Cause I was like, you hate it. You think you're better than everybody here. You think you're better than me. You just met me and you felt like you had to shake my hand. I just started, you know, doing that thing we all do, you know. <laughs> and but I could tell he liked it. Yeah. He was like, oh good. Somebody's gonna, you know what I mean? Like whatever, you know. This podcast is brought to you by Keeps. I don't know who I was just talking to about this, but I remember distinctly when I first started losing my hair. I remember feeling like it was my first step into mortality, and I was young. I was twenty one years old. And someone told me I was losing my hair. And then I remember being in the car and I showed my hair loss to my girlfriend. I said, I'm not losing my hair. Am I? And she went, yeah, you are. It was so callous. And I felt like saying, do you realize the diagnosis you just gave me back then? I had to schedule an appointment with a dermatologist. I couldn't just deal with it at home. Thankfully now there's keeps the simple and easy way to keep your your hair, keep your hair. Two out of three guys are going to experience some form of pattern pattern male baldness by the time they're 35. I was 21. And the best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair. That is the key. What's great about Keeps is this can all be done from your home. You can be sitting on your couch watching Netflix. Get on your phone. Visit a doctor online. Get the hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it so easy. Deliver your medication every three months so you can say goodbye to your pharmacy and checkout lines and awkward visits to the doctor. They have generic versions of the medication that treat hair loss out there. The only, there's only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there, and you've never tried them for this price. Those generic prices are so much better. I remember one time getting... They were like, all we have is generic. And I was like, oh, fuck, is it the same? And they're like, it's the same. I said, how much? And they were like, $2, not, not for this medication, but for another one. And I was like, why would I ever not get that? Prevention is the key. Keeps typically takes about four to six months to see results. So it's important to act fast. Start using Keeps now while you still have hair and save that hair. Keep your hair in your head. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any other of its competitors. More than 100,000 men trust Keeps for their heart hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatment starts at just $10 a month. For a limited time, you can get your first month for free. I still have hair. I have friends that did nothing about it, and they have none. What would you rather be, a guy that still has a little hair or Tom Segura? Here's a call to action. Go to keeps.com slash BurtCast to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash BurtCast to receive your first month of treatment for free. Get ready to take action and prevent hair loss. That's keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash birdcast. This podcast is brought to you by CBDMD. Everyone knows I am trying to run 2,000 miles this year. That is 5.5 miles a day. That is 40 miles a week. And I'm trying to get to 180 miles this month so I can have some leeway. That means a lot of 
aches and pains and inflammation on my body. January is like this for a lot of people. You're setting the tune to the tone for the new year and everyone wants to leave 2020 behind and go hard in 2021. Luckily, my good friends at CBD MD are here to give you the support you need to conquer your new year's resolution and make you this year the best one. And if those resolutions like mine are about fitness, they've got brand new topical products that keep you moving all year long. Like their CBD relieve with lidocaine. Oh my God. First of all, I'm a hardcore believer in CBD. Hardcore. You ask any guy I was on tour with every night, we'd start gobbling up CBD gummies. They're so good for so many litany of reasons, but the one they have this, this, this one they have with lidocaine is fantastic. Formula asks fast acting lidocaine helps provide temporary relief for minor aches and pains. And with their new bag on valve technology spray, the relief can be added and applied comfortably at any angle, even upside down. So make it easier to get this year off to a right one. They're offering all our listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code BERT at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com and the promo code is BERT for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. When you were doing Tough Crowd and when everyone was coming into ONA were like, uh, I guess you could argue probably my formative years of stand-up, meaning I was, I didn't have any TV shows. I was, I was out of money. I started a family. I was doing the road. I was broke, but I was obsessed with, st- I mean, I was like the most obsessed and I wasn't jaded yet. Like I was, I was still bright eyed, like, yeah. um, and, and you and that whole group, the, the tough crowd group that then morphed into the ONA group was like, I would hear stories and then. I mean, the greatest, the greatest, the greatest drive of my life was driving back from the fucking Tempe improv and I get in the car and it was the very beginning of the ONA show. Like, like meaning like the show just started and it was you, Patrice, Voss and Norton. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to make this drive home in no time. But I heard you tell a story about Patrice getting fired from tough crowd and then his mom getting his job back for him. Yeah, well, when we did the early episodes, which was a couple on NBC, they started yelling at me that they didn't get paid enough. And they really, they took it, like they started getting mad at me. Like I was ripping them off. And I tried to explain to them a few things, whatever, long story short, it was a money argument. And so me and Patrice really got into it. And I was like, fuck, you know what I mean? Like, so then when the show got picked up as a show, I'm like, you're not coming on. I'm not talking. What do you think? You think I'm not petty? You think I'm Mr. Above it all? You know, because sometimes I felt like they would try to treat me like I was like the manager or the agent or something. They forgot I'm a vindictive, angry comic just like you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Whatever I want to do too. And so I wouldn't. And I mean, people were calling up, you know, Colin, Patrice really would like to be back on. And I was like, I don't care. You know, like people would be calling for him. <laughs> I mean, you know, and it was, you know, it was so funny. Like they would call me and like, you know, petition for him. But I was like, I don't give a shit. Let him come apologize to me, you know? And then he shows up with his mother <laughs> and a, a tough crowd, his mother. And I go, 
Yeah, he's he's treating me like 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 you know we're in the ghetto school, and I'm the I'm the principal. <laughs> and his mother's sitting there, and his mother's great. You know, did you ever meet his mother? Yeah, Georgia. She's great. You know, and she's like, Colin, I don't know why I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know, I'm just and me and him have a screaming match, and it, we were by these open windows. It was these big windows. It was an old building, so they were and it was wide open because it was summer, wide open. We're screaming our heads off. The whole staff said they were going to rush the place. They thought he was going to kill me. And I'm back. My back is to the window. And I was like, this bastard could push me once, and I'd fly out that window. And he was, <laughs> we were screaming. This is his apology, by the way. <laughs> you know, the apology is him screaming because he didn't like the fact that I was smiling during the apology. He goes, what are you smiling for if we're fighting? And I go, don't tell me what to do with my face. I'll do whatever I want. I'm smiling. And I just... So it was like a real ugly fight, but but then at the end, you know, it was it was a formality. I knew I, you know, I knew he had to be back. I mean, you know, as yeah. much as anyone, he was tough crowd more than me, sadly. But you know, that's all right. Him and you know, it's funny. I I, I watched every single episode, and I've watched every episode again on YouTube. Oh, that's great. I, I it really because it was right when I had Georgia, my youngest. I was obsessed. I mean, like obsessed. It was like, and I was doing good in comedy, meaning I was featuring and I was getting some headline work and I was writing the quickest I ever wrote. And I mean, it, it, it was, it's, I would sit with Georgia. I've told the story a million times, but I would sit with Georgia in, uh, if you cross your legs like this, you can put a baby's ass right in the center. And I put <laughs> Georgia right there and I'd have my coffee and I'd watch Tough Crowd. And I would, I'd come back on a, on a Monday or a, and watch it on a Tuesday. So I'd have, uh, Thursday, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning, and I'd watch an hour of it and just, I mean, it was right. probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but it's interesting how that morphed into, I feel like that morphed into the hang at ONA. And then I, I think, and I, I don't know if I'm, if I, I'm overthinking this, but I really think that kind of morphed into podcasting. It was the, the beginning of what, I think so many comics would listen to O and A and go, God, man, I wish I had a hang like that. Like, I wish I had friends I could bust balls with. And then all of a sudden you'd go over to Rogan and you'd be like, Oh fuck, it's me, Joey. And Joey's telling some outrageous story about sneaking in some girl's room on a Quaalude. And you're like, fuck it's, it, it's such a, uh, and it bums me out that like, that things have to end, you know, like where, Tough crowd ends or ONA ends or Rogan moves to Austin and you're right. like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's how it is. And I mean, it's, it's probably for the best because if you go to any job, anyone has been there for too long, you ever work at a job where people have been there forever. They're just over it. So, you know what I mean? The energy, even though they're grateful to be working there and nobody, but it's just like, you know, the energy just changes. Yeah. You know? I want to talk to you about your about your book and about the new uh, special you put out. Your new special fucking changed. It really, really was a little bit of like a game. Everything you've done has been like a subtle game changer to all of us. Like when you started doing one man shows, I really think a lot of people started reinventing the way they did stand ups. They were like, yeah, what the fuck am I doing? Like, like, hey, good to be out of the house tonight. You know, like that fucking bullshit intros. And, and started to have themes to them. And when I watched this last one, man, I all I thought to myself is, why the fuck is anyone doing a special in a the theater? That was so fucking 
beautiful. I mean, when when De Stefano's on stage, as much as he bombed, as bad as his set was, <laughs> it was beautiful to watch. <laughs> and the truth was, he was right. He went first. Yeah. Oh, oh no, 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 no. I have oh, I have a lot of notes about that special, Colin. I have a lot of fucking notes. First of all, the fucking bullshit pandering honking crap. Uh, fucking Voss started a trend that you do that. You don't do that in a goddamn special, Voss. You no, no. Marina and Voss are both responsible equally. Yes, she brought it out too. Yeah, you know, Voss. Voss isn't smart enough to think of that on his own. You ever see the Godfather when he goes, "No, Tatagli is a pimp." He never could have thought that on his own. Bonzini was behind it. <laughs> But it really was, it was a fascinating special to watch, especially having done, I mean, I think I, at the time I'd done like f- fucking 90 outdoor shows. And so, or wh- whatever. Well, yes, that's right. Of course, you're the one that, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it was fascinating for me to watch because I thought there's so many things we did differently that, that we also had to do. Like we, the fact that they were in their cars is a really fucking uphill battle. I don't know how the hell you did that. And you didn't want them honking during your show? Oh, I wouldn't let them honk. No, no, no. Because you ready, Colin? You ready yeah. for a little inside baseball talk yes. right now? Yes. You know who has them honk? People who can't get laughs. People who need them to clap after a joke. Yeah, that's why we I, had them honk. I'm not shitting on Marina at all or anyone like, no. but like, trust me, I know, I know, I know who gets honks. It's people whose act isn't strong enough with material or punchlines, or they don't trust their act. And they need the response, so they go. If you guys don't like, if you guys like something, just honk, because I know you're not going to laugh. Because now this is an act. When you do but, outdoor shows, you are dependent on laughs, and you're dependent on your own ability to be comfortable with silence. There's a, it, it's an amazing. I, I mean, this last summer was an amazing experience in just being comfortable with silence and being and and being cool with not like over the top because you hear you know if you have you know four thousand people in a parking lot you definitely hear them laugh but you don't oh, hear them laugh wait. like you do pub. before we continue this i have to can i get water I yeah, have to get yeah, yeah 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 um should we stop the video how do you no, go ahead go ahead i'll be right back yeah yeah it's it, the, the whole the whole experience was fascinating and it was even more fascinating to share with comics because your insights on what like I, I did it with Tom. I did one show with Segura and with Jay Leno and to there is a, it's, it's a different muscle. When you do those outdoor shows, it's a different muscle and watch to watch you guys go in cold, like go in straight from clubs into that. I mean, I must've watched that special 10 times to see little things that I saw that people did wrong. Like, uh, like the, this is going to sound crazy, but the volume of some people's voices was like they were outside, not realizing you're shouting in someone's car. Right. Like there's so many things that I was like, I watched that and I, and then I watched it and I was like, like, like Bobby keep kept talking about the lapping of the waves. Can you hear that? And I was like, no one can hear it. And and it was like, it was like a live show, but there was, there was a disconnect when as, as an audience member, I was like, I can't hear the waves. I see your fucking hair blowing in the wind or your shirt blowing in the wind. It looks gorgeous. This is the most beautiful shot I've ever seen. And the fact that everyone kind of shit on it a little bit, I was like, don't shit on it. Don't shit on it. This is gorgeous. This is the most beautiful special I've ever seen in my life. It was yeah. so fucking amazing that I, I honestly, Colin, I said to my managers and agents, I was like, I really think 
I want to do a special like Collins, like outdoors. It's so beautiful. It was, it was. I'll direct amazing. it. What's that? Let me direct it. Colin, that's all you had to say. That's all, you know how much I, by the way, but having said that, you got to tell me which of my jokes I got to take out. <laughs> oh, of course that's what I'll do. Fuck yes. I would love that. I would oh, love yeah. that. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll curate. I like to add little things, take away. I mean, you know, everybody's going to listen to himself ultimately. You know, you yeah. tell anybody in comedy, you know, this joke with that, they're like, they look at you like, fuck you. Because <laughs> it's just how we are. Yeah. By the way, same thing as with you telling us it was so beautiful, don't shit on it. But what are the odds? I mean, how many gigs have you ever done? You could be in a beautiful ballroom and you're like, fuck, look at this shit. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's comedy. It's not saying, hey, this place is beautiful. It's going, yeah. That's what I used to love on uh, roasts, especially like the old roast, but everybody does it still, which is my favorite thing, is they go, you know, let's say Bob Saget. Bob Saget is a, was a star of this show. Uh, the show shit, and they left. But and then you have to start fresh. You have to cleanse the palate. They go, but Bob actually has done a lot of great music. <laughs> I can kill him. But one good thing, and then the audience applauds every time. Like Bob, he also got married last year. Hey, <laughs> so that's, I love that. It's always like you have to make it, build it back up, and then just kill the person. Oh. I love that on roast. That's my favorite thing. When people I could never, I could never do a roast, and I didn't like being at roast because why was, not? Because people would destroy me so easily, and I'm such a <laughs> uh, to lack for lack of better words, such a paper lion that like <laughs> that I that I'm just I sit there going like oh I mean, and and I get my and then whenever I roast someone, it comes off so nasty that everyone's like Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, that's that's the problem. You have to. It's such a weird line i mean you know it's it's you, you didn't see did you see voice the voice roast from a couple of years ago i was at the boss roast <laughs> i showed up in i showed up in new york that day had been <laughs> drinking all day and someone's like hey the boss is having a roast and i was like shut up and i sat in the back with with like mike vecchione and i want to say like a tell and just watch from the outsides and was i was doubled over when they said that Jim Norton looked like a, like a, a, a pond turtle. I could not stop fucking laughing. But wait, oh, the, but we're talking about the one at this underground. The underground. Yeah. And how about when see what's great at roast is when somebody like shows up, like Jim Florentine goes on middle of the show and just goes. Do you see Jim Florentine? I, I'm sure I did. I was pretty drunk though. I'll tell you two of his jokes just to tell you why he owned the roast. His opening joke, he goes, Bonnie, because Bonnie McFly, you know, which is why I put the thing together. He goes, Bonnie is a MILF, a middle I'd like to fuck. <laughs> and, his, and his last joke, he goes, or it should have been his last if it wasn't. He goes, Bonnie came from Canada and she came here and lived the immigrant's dream to come to America and get stupid rich. <laughs> But yeah, those those are my happiest things when we do those kinds of things. You know, like yeah. you said, like like what podcasts are. That's why pod, that's why your podcast is popular because it's comedians. There's something about their thing that's just fun. 
Oh, it was what was great about your special was you kept all the hang in the center out in it. Yeah. Like everyone yeah. busting balls to Stefano, not letting go the fact that he had to go first. Yeah. Like he, like I, I kept saying, so it's funny. Cause I, uh, cause we were, I think we we're going to do the podcast the day after I saw it. And so I had all these like notes about the thing, but one of the things that I loved was Chris went up and had a rough set, but it wasn't super noticeable that it was rough from the audience, like from watching the special. But the fact that he then pointed it out, I went, I, in my head, I go, I wouldn't have noticed if you hadn't pointed it out. Right. And then he did it again. And I was like, I, I wouldn't have. I think you're over beating a dead horse. By the fourth time, I'm crying, laughing, going, I got to watch Chris's set again. <laughs> but it, it's not even that it was that rough. It, no. was, it was also because his energy is kind of like, okay. So, you know, some comics, we have more of a tendency to be like, all right, like sort of like um, – letting yourself be vulnerable to what's going on. And I feel like that affects it too, you know? Oh, yeah. Because um, Voss went on first. And Bo- by the way, here's why you have to love Voss, right? He goes on. Him and Marina do the thing with the, the – Voss afterwards is mad like a week later. What are you mad at? Because Stefano's acting like he took the bullet for everybody for the rest of the show to be great. I took the bullet. <laughs> And his wife voice is the greatest because I, I didn't have, they said, do you want somebody to go out and make announcements? Do you want to go out and t- tell the people, thank you for being here? I go, no, I go, it has to be like a show. Voice goes out cold. Nobody speaks before voice. <laughs> and then he went out there. And it was great. Cause you know him, he's a warrior. He's not, he wasn't going to let them. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Doesn't care. And that's, a, that's my favorite thing in comedy is, at some level, you don't care. At some level, I don't care. At some level, when you're up there, you just don't care about life, about anything. It's an it's like there's something about an existential crisis in comedy. I only started comedy because I I quit drinking. I had to quit drinking, so I didn't care what happened to my life. I didn't care. I didn't care about anything because that was my best friend. I loved drinking. So I said, I don't have anything to lose. I have nothing to lose. What do I care if I do comedy? I don't care. I don't care if I bomb. I have nothing to lose. They took my best friend is gone. Why did you have to quit drinking? Why? I mean, you know, I was one of those guys who just wake up, you know, wake up anywhere, but but you know, never anywhere, never went anywhere that anybody would want to be. You know, really? never woke up with. You know, a beautiful, strange girl, maybe when I was 17, but by the time I was 23, in the middle of the Bowery and like eight in the morning in the gutter. I mean, you know, locked up everything. I mean, I was always nothing good, bloody, you know, no money, everything. It was, I was one of those people. I was just blackout. And then you just quit. You no no program. You just quit. I don't talk about things like the program. I'm not, I'm old school. <laughs> God, I wish I, w- I wish I was watching some documentary about uh, p- people going to. Uh, what, what, what we were watching some shit about people going off to. Oh, uh, girl interrupted where people went off to an insane asylum, and I was like, that seems so fucking fun. Like I would love to go to rehab. I would love to go to. I just don't have the brain 
that could allow myself to let go and say, I'm going to write off a month of my life or 90 days of my life and, and focus on me. I'm like, nah, I got to work. I'll just quit drinking. Like, but girl interrupted. Was it, wasn't she like forced in there and stuff? She tried to kill herself and she had to go in there. Right. But, it, but at the end she goes back and goes, and goes, uh, and goes, I need to fix me. You know, it's like, I need to be interrupted. Yeah. And by the way, the, the pinnacle, speaking of pizza 22, Angelina Jolie, Gia and girl interrupted. Never better. Never. Dude, Gia, she was so fucking hot in Gia. I watched that movie. And, and, and perfect for the role. Perfect. And Girl Interrupted, she steals that movie. Yes. I mean, overwhelmingly. But that's the problem. Can you imagine being an actress. You show up and you're the lead. And they go, okay, and this is your best friend. You go, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? <laughs> this, this is my best friend. This is what the camera is going to show. <laughs> me acting my ass off. I went to fucking acting school for four years. I went to fucking Juilliard or Carnegie Mellon. And now, you know, with this gorgeous bitch on the fucking camera. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> you. And, these, and Winona Ryder thought they'd be best friends. She's like, you know what? We're going to pal up really nice. And Angelina uh, and Jolie wouldn't talk to her. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm, I'm obsessed now with uh, not just watching a movie, but watching a movie with my phone and then reading everything about that movie while we watch it. Yes. And then throwing in two cents. My, that is my obsession. And my other obsession is fucking history. I don't know why out of nowhere, Bill Burr turns me on to this book, Flyboys, And it, for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's because I'm getting older. Is but, ero male erotica? Is that what that is? <laughs> Flyboys. <laughs> Yeah, it's the is the uh, they were the companions to the fly girls from In Living Color. <laughs> so, so so what what are you what is Flyboys about? Flyboys is about World War Two, but it's so politically incorrect. Meaning, yes, it is so the world that we lived and and what I I don't this is maybe I maybe you can help me decipher this, but what I what I find engaging about it is when you talk about history you can't really candy coat it or whitewash it. You just have to tell the truth and right. to hear truths these days is kind of refreshing to go. So that did happen. Right. And we're not going to say that didn't happen. And then like, I, I got, I got fucking hung up like a jackass a long time ago when, when they did a remake of Greece on for television and half of the greasers were black. And I was like, hold on, this is a tad bit distracting. I was like, you're not going to mention what a progressive school Rydell is that all of a sudden, They've got a black coach. And then my daughter, Isla's like, they don't even live without black coaches in the NFL. I'm like, all right, maybe I need to pump the brakes. <laughs> but like, so, but it's so interesting. Like, you know, the Japanese soldiers ate uh, American soldiers. It was like, right. And like, and the way Americans treated Japanese at the time, American Japanese was utterly horrific. Right. And I don't know if, I know that you're into you're into history the way more than most comics. I don't what's what's your draw to history? Um I feel like you know everything's a pattern. You know, like everything's cyclical. So whenever you do a history, a lot of it's just another time period like our time period. So each different part is like, oh yeah, that's just like now. So it's almost like yep. there's no way to do 
And like you said, into the way today's culture is, if you can't speak directly to something without, you know, you have to speak to it and go, look, this is humanity. Like, because a lot of people that are gatekeepers or whatever that you would call them today, I mean, that's an outdated term. They're not smart enough to understand. No, no, this is uh, eternal truth. Yeah. It's not just, you know, somebody speaking based on their life. This is just humanity, you know? And so that's what I feel like you can do with history that you can't do, you know, in a normal conversation. And it also makes you, you, you look at it more intelligently instead of coming from your emotion or your immediate experience. It, you, it forces you to take a step back and look at it as part of a, as part of an overall thing, you know? That's an interesting take. Cause you can, I, I one of the things I was obsessed with, I was obsessed with the insurrection that happened like a week ago or whatever. Right. I didn't tweet about it. I don't feel like that's my place. Maybe if I write a joke about it, that's my place. Right, that's how I, I can sit with those thoughts as opposed to hammer away at my keyboard 30 seconds after it happened. Right, and, then you right. got, and then you got Burr tweeting out, hey, man, there's a Wizards Capitals game tonight. <laughs> and people light him up. But it's uh, but I started, instead of tweeting about it, I started reading about insurrections, about the Bolsheviks taking over Nicholas the second right and it's interesting i'm fascinated did you see any of the footage of once they got into the capital and and it, it, there was a real um ineffectiveness of like watching them go through notebooks going like we got to find some shit man we got to find some shit some right. shit. and you're just like that you that that person doing that really looks like an imbecile like it really looks like a like do you think all the secrets about where they who killed JFK and if they're aliens land that you're going to find it in Nancy Pelosi's notes on. And what is it? If you ask them, what is it that's going li- to jump out at you right now? Yeah. Tell us. And they're like, I don't know. But and like you said, unless it says murder JFK, nothing's going to jump out of you unless it says election st- Monday, make sure to steal election November 4th. Other than that, what's going to be there? You'll understand. They're not going to understand any of it. And watching them flip through those pages, go, come on, man. we got to find some real shit, man. Real shit. You were just like, you look like a bunch of freshmen that broke into the principal's office. And you're looking to change your report cards as if no one's going to notice. And it's like we figured out they thought the hard part was breaching the Capitol. No, the hard part is what are you going to do when you're in there? (laughs) What are you looking for? You can see people like taking pictures. (laughs) What I find fascinating is that Lenin and, and, and all the Bolsheviks and the, and the Dumas at the time of when they overtook were just as dumb as, (laughs) as, as those guys, they were not, they like, clearly they weren't intelligent men. They were just morons. that had the balls to be the first through the fucking doors. And what's even crazier, Colin is, what and this is look i don't know anything i'm trying to get this russian no no one in the fucking field of russian history will talk to me because of my past but so <laughs> but i'm trying to do you russian story yeah because they're like yeah we're good we you know whatever we're they're academics and so oh because you you're a comedian you mean and become a comedian i robbed a train and they think they're getting set up in some way right 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 um but what i find fascinating is that you know czar nicholas the second basically murdered thousands of his 
of his constituents yeah. just willy-nilly killed the jews killed literally had a, a plan to to kill killed jews killed people protesting and lenin takes over the com- country and goes oh that's clearly the only way to rule these people like they right. and it and and did the exact same thing did the exact same thing just did it harder faster and stronger so that no one could everyone was like well fuck this guy really means to it we thought we could take over nicholas no one's fucking with this guy and then the other thing is like they never like well for whatever reason and i i'm dying to figure this out russia has never been able to make bread like they cannot make bread to save their fucking lives and and so nicholas couldn't no one had they had bread strikes then they had bread strikes with lenin like th- there's never been an upward trajectory during that time period and i just kept thinking that when you say history repeats itself, I was like, "That what did what did these idiot have they not read one history book?" Well, even like you said, when Russia, I mean, here's Hitler, who's a student of all this stuff, and he knows Napoleon. He's obsessed with Napoleon, and he knows Napoleon went to Russia, and that's why he lost <laughs> going to Russia, and he does the same thing. Same thing, you know. But what? But the bread thing is kind of it's kind of amazing. I, I never even thought about that. Like why does. Yeah, yeah, going, is it the weather or no? I have no fucking clue. I'm not smart enough. Wheat, I just we have wheat fields. Oh yeah, but they're wheat fields. They're pictures of them. It is looks like a fucking desert. It's like that old Sam Kinison bit, like where he's like, move to okay, the right. How many fucking people need to live in Russia before they realize, hey man, we're not set up. The Did whole middle. See, you ever see that great movie with? Uh, I don't know if it's a. I always mix up Edward Furlong and Elijah Wood. You know. But it was a movie set in Russia based on a novel, and it's one of the greatest. It's a movie you would love, where he goes back to visit his his grandfather to find out about his family, survived the Holocaust. It came out about 12 years ago. No. And um, what the hell is it called? But anyway, it's a it's it's got the greatest footage. I guess they shot it over there in the Ukraine. And it's got the greatest footage of all the housing. You know, they had the Eastern Bloc housing, and it's it's a great movie anyway. It's yeah, it's, great- it's funny. Uh, it's funny. I'm looking for it right now. Uh, is it Lord of the Rings? No. <laughs> but he's the same guy, whoever it was, was also in that soccer hooligans movie, Green... Um, Green Street. Yeah. Who is that? Edward Furlong or that's, Elijah that's, Wood? Uh, that's Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood had the best taste. I don't know what happened to him. Elijah Wood had the best taste. He would do the most... Wildest movies, and holy shit, Elijah Wood's done some great fucking. Everything is illuminated. That's what it was called. I just remembered. Everything is illuminated. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, that's a after a book, right? Yes, and the book was really great too. It was written perfectly. That's hold on. I think um, Jonathan Jonathan Safran Forer was the writer. What a great book. But what a great movie. All right, and the I'm guy that plays it. his cousin looks like John Turturro, and he leads him around, and he's a genius in it. You know, It's great. This podcast is brought to you by Viore. I absolutely love Viore because what I love about Viore is they make workout clothes, active wear clothes that don't look like workout clothes or active wear clothes. I don't know if those are the exact branded words they want to use. Those are the ones I use. One of my favorite things is to work out right in the morning and then go about my day. Put on clothes that make me think, hey, man, if I get a minute, 
I'm going to hop on the treadmill and bang out a mile, right? That's what I love about Viore. They are comfortable. They look great in everyday life outside the gym, but they are perfect for any workout, any activity, like getting on the treadmill or doing dips or push-ups or kettlebells. Like last night, I'm in my Viore pants. Viore shirts are fucking next level, by the way. I'm in my Viore pants. I'm watching a movie with the girls, and I thought, I'm not really enjoying this movie. I wouldn't mind doing some kettlebell squats. Perfect pants for kettlebell squats. And I wore them all day. I actually even slept in them. That's how fantastic they are. They've got women's performance joggers, the softest joggers you'll ever own, ladies. Women's daily leggings. I wish, I, I honestly, I am jealous I'm, I can't wear leggings because my daughters and wife wear these every single day. Isla loves them because they're high-waisted with a drawstring. Men's core shorts, the most comfortable lined athletic shorts you're ever going to find. One short, every sport, and the men's ponto shorts, the perfect loungewear for work or home, or just putting on a pair of shorts. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable, versatile clothing on the planet at vioreclothing.com slash Burt. vioreclothing.com slash Burt. V-U-O-R-I clothing.com slash Burt. Not only are you going to receive 20% off your first purchase, but you'll enjoy free shipping on any U.S. order over $75 and free returns. Go to vioreclothing.com slash Bert and discover the versatility, 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 versatility of Viore clothing. This podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. I am a big advocate about therapy, even though sometimes I've died, I've, I've veered away from it. I'm in it right now. I'm in it and I need it. With what's going on in this world right now, with I don't even know if it's depression. I think it's just anxiety. My anxiety has been through the roof and it spills into other parts of my life. And then I start blaming and, and, and pointing fingers and becoming unhealthy or what my therapist says toxic in my responses to things, but I don't have the time. And by the way, I'm not going out of my house to go get into therapy right now. I'm not leaving my house, going to face face with another person. That's what's great about better help. If you ever wanted to try therapy or you want to get back into therapy, you just want someone to talk to someone about, BetterHelp offers online licensed professional therapists who are trained to help and listen with issues including anxiety, stress, depression, relationship, conflicts, difficulty in sleep, LBGTQ matters, uh, trauma, anger, family conflict, grief, self-esteem, it's all the shit we're all going through right now. Find, even just finding a therapist can be intimidating. And outright time consuming, but with better help, you can simply fill out a questionnaire to help you assess your specific needs, then get matched with a counselor in under 48 hours. Schedule secure from a secure video or phone sessions, plus exchange unlimited messages with your therapist from the comfort of your own home. Everything you share is confidential. For any reason you don't like your counselor, bam, you're going to request a new one. No, no additional charge. Just get a new counselor, which is fucking awesome. Good luck getting that anywhere else. Join the 1 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp counselor. BetterHelp is a convenient and affordable option, and our listeners are getting 10% off your first month with the discount code BERT. Listen, man, if you are going through some shit, or maybe it's not even that big a shit, but you think, God damn it, this is building up. It happens to all of us. Get started today at betterhelp.com slash Bert. There is, n you can, there's nothing to lose, people. This is, 
it will make you feel better just to talk to someone for an hour, 30 minutes, whatever it is, it'll make you feel better. That is betterhelp.com slash Bert, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash Bert. Listen, I will say this proudly. There is no shame in asking for help. The swing vote in the in revolutions is the Alex Jones or Rasputin, who is the lunatic who every so Rasputin had his ear for the the czar and the czarina. Yes. And and fucking Alex Jones. I mean, they are. It is you need you need like explosivity to start a revolution, like someone who's just fucking crazy enough to either for the people to rise up against, which I think those were the riots that we saw in the in the summer. And then all of a sudden for the opposite side, it's fucking fascinated with history. But then you also had the reds and the whites who were both rising up against the government. And then, yeah. Yeah. And that's like, and, and, um, so, so who was, so Lenin was the leader of the, the The Bolsheviks. Yeah. And who was the whites? They were the Uh, other Ivan Chichkov. Chichkov. No, it's it's something like that. He was the one he was. So you don't want to know something fascinating. I, this, by the way, I, I could fucking talk about this shit for Amazing. hours. Amazing. The um, they uh, the the whites with the Dumas is is was appointed by the czar, and when I mean there was this fucking period of a year, Colin, where they overthrew the czar, but he still like lived there, and they would just go into his fucking room, and like soldiers would just drunk go into his room and fucking eat their food with his hands. They gave him bread. Like they treated him like a prisoner. And then they took him out to the fucking forest. And they were like, this is where they're going to kill him. But at that time, uh, Lenin or Lenin overthrew the whites, the Bolsheviks took over the whole capital. And, and what was happening was they, they were doing just as bad as the czar. And there was an uprising saying, let's bring back the czar. Let's bring back the czar. And that's when Lenin's like, fuck it. If we kill, God damn it. It's like cutting off fucking uh, uh, the guy's hand in Game of Thrones. What, like, it's such a cunt move that you can't take back. Once we kill the czar, they're never, we get it forever. Right. And then and, they thought Lenin was bad. And then in his deathbed, he brings in Stalin. And they Stalin stayed. was so bad. Fucking Hitler thought they'd be friends. <laughs> Hitler way, thought he'd be friends with Stalin. By the way, here's a scary thing about life. Lenin knew Stalin was bad. Yeah. And yet, even on his deathbed, he was too scared to not appoint him as his successor. <laughs> Fuck. That's how evil Stalin was. On his deathbed, he scared the guy. Did you ever travel much, Colin? Like, for, like vacation? You mean the funny bones? Yes. In the 90s. Um, <laughs> No, I, um, yeah, I've been, you know, I did shows in Iraq and did shows in, um, uh, Japan, Korea, and, and, uh, I've been to Africa, went on safari in Africa and went to South Africa and Cape Town and stuff. And, you know, been to China and, um, some shows over there, but not, uh, not as much as I should have. Has this, has the quarantine made you want to want to travel as the quarantine made you want to travel? Oh my God. No, I tried to set up when I did my first one man show with the bit of the later ones, long story short, right? Yeah. I, it was the history of the world. So I did every country in the world. And the reason I did it 
was because of my plan was I'm covering every country so I could travel the world like everybody else's. Every middle did 18 countries, and I had not, never done any of them. So I did it for that reason, and it still didn't happen. It just wasn't meant to happen for whatever reason. I fucking wrote a show specifically to travel the world. <laughs> That's why I did that show. And it never uh, happened? If things aren't meant to be, you can't force them. You know, that's how it is. Oh, I went, I, I bought, I bought your book the day it came out. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I, uh, I started reading it and then I was like, I was like, I'm not going to read. What am I, who am I fucking kidding? <laughs> I'm, I'm such a bad reader that like, yeah. I, I'm trying to work a bit on it right now, but I, I miss, I'm, I'm, I'm dyslexic. So I'll miss C words. Oh, of course. Yeah. And it, they, like, well, wait a minute. Where did you go to college? Rollins? Florida State. Florida. I read the Florida chapter. Florida State? Yeah. Is that where Danny Rollins was? Who's Danny? Rollins. No. You... No. no, that was University of Florida. The, the serial killer, yeah. remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I just that watched The Night Stalker on FX or on uh, that was Netflix. Tal- I know. It was good. Tallahassee, I guess, is Florida. You're, you're, where's Florida State? Tallahassee is Florida State. Gainesville is where they had the guy who's cutting off heads and putting them on on fucking mantles. Right. Oh, that was evil. Here's the worst thing about that Danny Rollins. They should do one on him next, you know, after Night Stalker. Is that his name, Danny Rollins? Danny Rollins, yeah. Evil. This is the worst. He went into one. uh, The last people he killed, they knew. I forget how they found out. They knew it was him. He broke in, and the woman knew it was him. Because they would, everybody was like out of town, but these people stayed. But they, her boyfriend just, or her roommate just came back from work, locked the door, and a half hour later, this guy broke in. It's like four in the morning. Psycho. I remember I was in college, I was in high school when that was happening. And I remember all our friends' sisters had just moved up to go to school at Florida. And all came home that semester. All came home, yeah. Everyone came home. Oh. It's crazy. What happened to all the serial killers, Colin? They're still. A, I'm sure they're still around, you know. But it's like now. You think they peak in high school as school shooters? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think no. I think it's also because it's so much easier to catch people after one murder now. Yeah. There's so much DNA and so there's cameras everywhere. In those oh, days. Yeah. You couldn't catch people for how many serial killers never got caught? Fucking hundreds, you know? Yeah. Were you were you in New York during the Son of Sam? Yeah. How old? 17, 16 and 17. Really? Yeah. And my friend, like, we, we got in his car. He's like, we're going to catch the Son of Sam. We're driving around. <laughs> we didn't catch him. <laughs> but I knew uh, two two of his victims a little bit, you know? Really? Yeah. Well, I went to high school with the sister of one of the girls. And so I remember when that happened. And then uh, a few, two, three years later, I met one of the other guys that was a victim that got shot. And the girl got killed. The guy lived, but he had a bullet in his head from the son of Sam. God. So what, uh, what projects are you working on now? What are you doing now? I'm writing. It's funny you say son of Sam. I'm writing a bicentennial, New York City bicentennial. I'm just writing all these characters. So in writing all these characters from 1976, 77, I don't know why. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. 
But I mean, just all these different monologues of all these people from that time. Oh, wow. I don't know what. Before, I don't know what for. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm just, you know, for some reason, I'm just, I, when I start writing them, they come out, they come out the way I want them to. So I'm like, I'm, I, this is, I'm supposed to be doing this right now. Is that how you, is that how your process kind of works? Is that whatever shows up is the thing you work on it? You don't really like go, I want to do another one man show. I want to no, do. No, I, I, when I would do one man show, I have to consciously think it out, make it a theme, you know, like I did the constitution show because I was like, I want to know why in a place where everybody hates everything, everybody loves this document. Yeah. Nobody agrees on it. This is six years ago. Nobody agreed on anything anyway back then. But I said, why does everybody agree that the Constitution is great? And so that's, you know what I mean? So it's like, I think of the idea, but I mean, if it goes, sometimes you think of an idea and it just, if you're blocked, you're just like, all right, I'm not supposed to work on it. You know, it's, I mean, we're still supposed to be having fun with comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's still supposed to be fun. You know, it's a lot of work, but it's supposed to be fun when you're on stage. Like here you are. It's so funny, by the way, because when you're talking about doing the uh, the tour of uh, all the drive-ins, yeah, you know, and then you're saying, yeah, because you like you're saying, here's what you would do differently. Like the experience of doing those dates is so interesting to me. But then I was like, but how is he getting laughs? How could you hear laughs? We needed the people hitting their horns because we can't hear the laughs. And I was like, yeah. Because you said it, 4,000 cars. You know how many cars we had at our show? 40. I saw that. I saw that. I was That was my other note. I, I had a lot of notes. I had a lot of notes, Colin. I, well, yeah, because you just did it for three months. Yeah, and I, I, I reached out to, I think you guys had, did you guys work with Jax? Uh, no, not on that one, no. Okay. Um, I, I reached out to one of my buddies who was like working with you on something, and I was like, hey, tell Colin to come out and do one of these ones that I'm at because – there are gorgeous drive-in movie theaters, and uh, and what the the number one key to the, what was successful about ours was, and it was this was an accident, was the first one we showed up to is North Carolina, and they and COVID wasn't really big where they were, and they just tailgated. I mean, they they just set up like they were at a, a college football game. Just everyone got outside. Everyone had trucks. Everyone's either set up in the back of their trucks or out there and, and brought couches, brought beds. I mean, it was hot tubs. It was fucking, that was the part that I loved. And how long did you do? I did an hour and 30 minutes. And when do you walk around the crowd? No, 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 no. Get up. The first show I did, I had an hour and 15 minutes and I did it in 35 minutes. <laughs> I, cause I was like, I was not used to it. I wasn't like, I, like I you wanted to work in like, right. Oh yeah. And I, I powered through it and then I fucking struggled a little bit. But we did two shows. It was fun. Um, and then the other thing is I started getting, I would get worried because they would have one set of cars facing me. And then they'd have, it was a twin cinema. So they had another set of cars just facing a screen. They were just watching the show. And it bothered me. That bothered me that they were getting well, less yeah. experience. And then, yeah, of course. And then once I got, once I got kind of past that and realized that a lot of this was, it wasn't a moneymaker for me. I think people knew that, but they knew that I was there so that everyone could get out of their house, safe, get out, have a night and party. And my sisters told me that my sisters went to the one we did at the Rose Bowl with Tom. And they were like, 
they were like, I'm certain that is not the ideal way to watch you do comedy, but it was fun as shit. They're like, we part, we set up our entire car. We had everything in there. And, then, and my sister just had a baby. And she was like, and it was nice that we went out. We felt like we were a part of something. We saw a show. Me and I'd always do a, a meet and greet at the end where I got in a golf cart and drove through as people are in traffic and waved. And they were like, it was so nice. And you're like, oh, that's the same reason I'm doing it is because I want to get out of the house. Right. I was having fun. And like you said, it was just fun for me. But then we started being very litigious about can they get out of their cars? There was a couple like, I want to say Philly and Jersey where they wanted them to stay in their cars. and. You, I think I was lucky because that, by that time I was just very confident. And if I heard the front cars laughing, I knew everyone was laughing. Right. Now, did you, when you did the show with Jay Leno, did you say, Jay, let me explain to you how this works. I did not. And I should have. Because <laughs> Jay went up. You could tell. But Jay's so such like a pro that he just like, I don't think he was phased by it at all. But you right. could like, you could definitely. You could definitely feel like any comic just not hearing the laughs, you could hear it in their act. But Jay well, was. I think that Jay Leno was one of those guys that when he started, there was no comedy clubs. He would do whatever. Yeah. So it was a strip club or it was whatever it was. So he just got in that mindset of like, whatever the situation is, I'm going to do comedy. And that's, I mean, I always tell people, which you're a great example of with that, those shows. That the only thing you can't be as a comedian is you're not allowed to be is uncomfortable. Yeah. It's illegal. You could be anything else. Audiences can hate you, but they can never feel sorry for you. You can never be uncomfortable. You can suck. You they can hate my guts. You can never be like, you know, feeling weird to be there. You're not allowed. Yeah. It's it was. I mean, I got when when we did the the not the last one. The last ones we did were, I mean, they were great. But the, one of the last ones we did was me and Tom at the Rose Bowl, and and uh, oh, I don't, I wish I knew how many. It was a ridiculously huge event because it was, I mean, just you couldn't see where the back was. And the parking lot of the Rose Bowl. Yeah, we did the parking lot of the Rose Bowl. Hilarious. It was gorgeous. It was you know this is one of the other things I loved is that. Every and this is what I loved about your special is when you when you were sitting waiting for the show, you're looking at the the Los Angeles Fort Mountains in the background of the Rose Bowl with a stage going like, man, this is where I'm having my cocktails tonight. Like I'm yeah. having a cocktail in my car watching this. This is going to be great. And that's what I mean. Your special was so f watching the sunset on New York City. I mean, well, I, I did a few shows at colleges in like 2000. And they were all in New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas. And they were all like those outdoor, like small versions of Red Rocks. They weren't yeah. big like Red Rocks, but they were like just these outdoor things at some little college, you know? And it was so much fun. You know, you always think comedy is better with indoors, laughs bounce off. And that's true. But outdoors, like you said, people are sitting there and going, they automatically elevate, their mood is elevated. Oh fuck! Instead of being yes. wedged next to other people in a in a fucking theater, you know what I mean? You're sitting with your friends and your, you know what I mean? Something we did like one. That. I'll tell you what was the game changer for me is we do all these outdoor events and then we go and we do an amphitheater, just like a like a, a civic amphitheater. Meaning this is where they were going to have maybe some high school bands, 
competitions, right. uh, maybe a few plays in Fort Collins, Colorado, middle of nowhere, Colorado. Not saying that Fort Collins is middle of nowhere, but not just not Denver, not not Red Rocks, just right. an, a regular civic amphitheater. And they had set up spray painted little boxes people could stay in. And I am telling you, Colin, I felt like this whole tour I've been swimming with overalls on. It was so explosive that I was like, fuck theaters. I'm just doing amphitheaters for the rest of my life because everyone uh, craft beers everywhere. Everyone's got big, tall beers. Everyone's got blankets out like everyone's. It was so fucking amazing that I literally I, it was one of the greatest experiences. Then I watch your special and I go, why am I doing, why am I doing a special? Like I'm already have my shirt off. Like why not lean into that and let's go outside. Let's go to Florida. Let's get a nice long sunset and do a show with like, and I'm, and I'm just sitting there going, why not? Why not let it get dark? Why not let it change? And then I'm sure I'm like, I was, I was like, I wonder how, what continuity was like. If how many shows did you guys tape? Just one, one. or two? Just, just one. one. Yeah. But continuity, but that's the other thing. You know, always in comedy, like we're always like trying to make it uh, look perfect, but it's never gonna. Like that was accidentally. That was uh, what's her name? Rebecca, who works in uh, she's an agent in New York. She found that place, and they were just in between drive-in, and she's like, "What about this? We got that place so cheap. It was crazy. It was crazy, and." Oh. MTV shot the Video Music Awards there two days before we were there. And they built these giant stages so you couldn't see the backdrop. You couldn't see the, the, the backdrop. What the fuck? They might as well have been anywhere. It was They built these big elaborates for all the bands. are like, we want this behind us. We want, they had to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so the whole special, you're like, are they really outside? Are they really? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the most absurd thing you ever saw in your life. You know, and it's like, it's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. Amphitheaters are great for comedy. I agree. Oh, I love it. I, I, we're, I'm, I'm, I've been supposed to do Red Rocks now for like fucking a full two years. We've been pushing it because of COVID. It was supposed to do it in September. Then now we're pushing it again next September. And I'm so excited because, and at first I was scared. I was terrified because I was like, I wonder how I'll do outdoors. Now I'm like, oh, please. You mean organized outdoors? Are you fucking shitting me? I would yeah. love it. Yeah. I used to sell uh, T-shirts at, at concerts when I was a kid, you know, and we did a couple of shows. There's like gigs, venues in New York, Connecticut like that. And I was like, Jesus Christ, these bands sound a hundred times better. Yeah. Oh, so, um, well, I'll let you get out of here. We've been on for an hour and 15 and I, I, I feel like with New York guys, you guys don't have those, those those podcast legs that we all taught were brought up with, with Rogan, where no. it was like five hour podcasts. Absolutely. <laughs> you were great on Rogan, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. That was awesome. That was, uh, that was, uh, uh, he's, I think he's building, I think he's building an outdoor amphitheater in his new place. Yeah. I'll tell you, I did an outdoor amphitheater in Austin 12, 14 years ago. And really? it was amazing. So I think it's a great, he should, I hope he does because, Outdoor amphitheaters down there are a badass, you know? Fuck yeah. Well, hey, Colin, I appreciate you doing this. I'm glad you didn't get uh, to get too bad with the COVID. I'm sorry your no. wife did. Uh, your book, uh, Overstated, I got it on Amazon. It showed up the day of. I put a post out. Um, I, your fucking special is amazing. That special is so great. And I, I, I really honestly wish there were more 
like that because seeing a bunch of great comics all go on tag team have fun and bullshit was like it's yes. so much better than watching just a, a rundown yes you want to just have but you want to make it and i feel like i feel like it informs the material in the long run it would be the way to do it only yeah. if they let me direct it well i appreciate it colin and uh, i will Hopefully I'll see you soon. Hopefully we'll, this will open up. Do you know when you, are you getting, but you're, you don't need to get vaccinated now until like fucking October. No, I guess not. But I mean, I still have to check, you know, is it, does it last that long now? I yeah. know people, have, I know people have lost the antibodies after five months. I dude, I know a lot of people that have gotten it twice and you're like, Me too. and then, and then you start going, hold on. Maybe it's you like, <laughs> yeah, maybe no, I think, yeah, people are susceptible. But I know a few people too that have gotten it twice. God damn it! Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad. I'm glad you had a. You had not such a rough run of it. I was worried. Thanks. Yeah, I'm fine. I was worried. Were you, I was worried because your past heart attack. I was like, fuck. I know. I was afraid I get a blood clot and just be, you know, like one of those living dead, just sitting here like this. Still <laughs> of the podcast. Oh, it's been an honor. You're my absolute favorite comic, uh, Colin. I absolutely love you, man. Love you too. Thanks. I'll for talk to you later. Thank you, buddy. All right, buddy. Take care. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.